Wasn't that a man? Yes, and uh, you know we talk about music all the time, and uh, I like the old classics. I like the old hymn book, don't y'all? But you know what? It doesn't mean that good music's still not being written, and us kind of people ought to be writing it. Wouldn't y'all agree? Amen. I appreciate him writing it, and I appreciate her playing it, and I appreciate all of our musicians here. I, um, you're not supposed to covet, amen? But I wish I could have the talent some of these folks have. Y'all ever get like that? I wish I could play the piano and play a guitar. Should have spent the time doing it, shouldn't I? Wish I could sing, but I'm glad up in heaven, praise God, we will sing, amen? We'll be in the heavenly choir. We make a joyful noise now. And so I think that's important. We ought to make a joyful noise. Appreciate that. Uh, would you, uh, how many of you got your precious Bible today? Got your sword? And uh, I try to get in a habit of, of saying, open your precious Bible. I, I know it's, I'm normally not a grammatic grammatical person. Y'all know that, but. You know, you, you always you say, turn in your Bible. Where are we going to turn it into? So let's open it. Amen? Amen? Open your precious. How many of you believe it's precious? Amen. I do too. So let's open our precious Bible this morning to the book of First, actually 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. We've already preached through all of 1 Samuel. We're going to go back to the life of David today and uh, going to read quite a bit of scripture here. And uh, we're going to look in chapter 3. Now I'm going to read this passage and then we'll get caught up to where we are. But a lot of it will be self-explanatory here in chapter 3. And let's look at verse 1 together and we'll read down through verse 18. If you'd follow along as I read and uh, try to allow the Bible to come to life in your mind as you read it. Let the pages, let the words of the page come to life in your mind. And uh, be there as this is taking place. Put yourself there. And uh, this is an event that's quite interesting. Look at verse 1, chapter 3, 2 Samuel. Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger. And the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And unto David were sons born in Hebron, and his firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam, the Jezreelites. His second, Chiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. The third, Absalom, the son of Micah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. And the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. And the fifth, Sheftatiah, the son of Abital. And the sixth, Ethrium by Eglah, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. So in other words, he had a heap of youngins. And it came to pass, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner made himself strong for the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, which we'll read about later. Probably one of the greatest mothers as far as when you think about a mother's story, a Mother's Day sermon, many times Rizba has been preached on. But she was the daughter of Ai, 
And Ishbosheth, which was the reigning king of Israel, the north, wherefore hast he said to Abner, Wherefore hast thou gone in unto my father's concubine? Then was Abner very wroth for the words of Ishbosheth, and said, Am I a dog's head which against Judah do show kindness this day unto the house of Saul thy father, to his brethren, and to his friends, and have not delivered thee into the hand of David, that thou chargest me today with a fault concerning this woman? So do God to Abner, and more also except, as the Lord hath sworn to David, even so I do to him, to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul, and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan even to Beersheba. And he could not answer Abner a word again because he feared him. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, Whose is the land? Saying, Also make thy league with me, and behold, my hand shall be with thee, to bring about all Israel unto thee. And he said, Well, I will make a league with thee, but one thing I require of thee, that is, thou shalt not see my face, except thou first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. And David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Deliver my wife Michael, which I espoused to me, for an hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, even from Feltiel, the son of Laash. And her husband went with her along weeping behind her to Beharuam. Then said Abner unto him, Go, return, and he returned. And Abner had communication with the elders of Israel, saying, You sought for David in times past to be king over you. Now then do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all of their enemies. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning asking you that you'll do what only you can Take your word, speak to our hearts, and we'll thank you for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a very interesting event. Now, let's get caught up. We've been studying the life of David. What, what drama? I mean, anybody want to say the Bible's boring, they just haven't read it. They just haven't read it. Because it's certainly not boring. It's got drama in it. It's got intrigue. It's got suspense. It's got love. I mean, it's got it all. And man, reading the life of David, I mean, here he was, a young boy, a shepherd boy, watching his sheep, watching his father's sheep, and the Lord had rejected Saul as the king, and he said, I want you to go down to Jesse's house, you're going to find one of his sons, you're going to anoint him, you're going to make him king. But he's not going to be king now, he's going to have to wait. We know Samuel went to the house of Jesse, and all the boys passed through, and he waited, 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 he said, is there another? He said, yeah, there's one more, the young one, he's out back, he's... Watching the sheep, he's just a young man, young kid, young, probably a teenager. He said, go get him. He went and got him, and the Lord said, that's him. So we know that he anointed him king. That was the first time Saul anointed him king. Or not Saul, but Samuel. Well, then we know what happens. Right after that, immediately, Saul was starting to be troubled. So he said, is there anyone that can play the harp and can help soothe my soul and soothe my depression, basically, is what he was dealing with. He said, yeah, there's a young man, David. He's a very wise young man. He can play. He's very skillful in the harp. So he started to come and he started to play the harp for Saul. 
Well, in the meantime, uh, he was home one day, and his father said, go to go meet your boys there in the war, the army. They were uh, up against the Philistines there in the Valley of Elah, and he just obeyed his dad. He went there, and he said, uh, I went there to feed my brothers, give my brothers, make sure they were okay. And when he got there, there was this Goliath, this giant that was defying the armies of Israel. Everybody was scared of him. And David seen him and said, look, is there not a cause? And so we know the rest of the story. He went down there with five smooth stones and he, he popped him. And then he hopped him. And then he chopped him. Chopped his head off. He dropped him after he popped him. I forgot that one. Amen. But nonetheless, a young man killed this great giant that was a man of war from his youth. And he became popular. And we know what happened. They started singing praises. And by the way, they wanted him to be king then. They were seeking for him to be the king then. They wanted him to be king then. They were singing all the praises to David after he killed Goliath. You know, he said that they'd sung their thousands. They'd sing their songs to, to Saul, but they'd sing their thousands of songs to David. They wanted David to be king then. But we know what happened. He started to be hunted and chased by Saul and Man, this went on for over 15 years. He was hunted like an animal. We've read all of that. We went through all of that. And we've seen so much here in the life of David. Now we come to the place of where Saul's dead, Jonathan's dead, and we find out that now you would think it would be time that David would be rightfully put on the throne of all of Israel, but not yet. In chapter 1 and chapter 2 of 2 Samuel that we preached on a couple weeks ago, we found out that he was only placed in the kingship of Judah, the northern part of, of Israel. We understand that he was not going to be king over all of Israel like God had promised him. So we preach the message and we have to wait on God. There are godly detours in our life. And then we read in all of chapter 2 that for some reason, uh, Abner, which was the captain of the army of Saul, he lifted up, he went and got Saul's other son by the name of Ishbosheth. What a name, amen. And he pulled this young man up and said, you're going to be king. Now that's how powerful Abner was because he was the captain of the army of the house of Saul. He would be like a five-star general today. And so he was very powerful and he put Ishbosheth instead of putting David in place where he should have been in place of king. Now, we know what happened then. Abner, for some reason, had some kind of a competition with Joab. Now, remember, Joab is the five-star general or the captain of the army of David. So you have David's army and you have Saul's army. The head of Saul is Abner. The head of David's is Joab. And so in chapter 2, for some reason, Abner wanted to play some games. He wanted to have a competition between the two armies. And we read in chapter 2 that 24 men were killed because of this competition. Then, not only was the 24 killed, the Bible tells us in chapter 2 that there became a civil war between the house of David and the house of Saul. We understand that Abner was the most powerful man for the house of Saul. And we know that Joab was the captain of the host for David. But David was the king over Judah. And Ishbosheth was king over all of the other Israel. Now, in chapter 3, an interesting thing takes place. Ishbosheth goes to Abner, which had protected him, which had put him in power, 
And for some reason, Ishbosheth went to Abner and said, I want to know why you have done something unseemly with my father's concubine. Well, he accused him of doing something with this woman. And Abner refused and said, absolutely, I did nothing here. And the Bible said that he was so wroth that that day he looked at Ishbosheth and said, You will no longer be king. I have been allegiance to you. I have followed you as the king. But today, because of what you said to me, I'm going to go make a league with David. I'm going to go make a pact with David. And I'm going to swear an allegiance to him. And he is going to sit on the throne of all of Israel. Now this is what we've been waiting for. Would have never dreamed that this is how it's going to happen. But this is why when God anointed him over 15 years ago at the house of Jesse, he said, you're going to be the king after mine own heart. It's getting ready to take place in chapter 5. But I think something noteworthy here that we need to look at today. I think this interesting. We see in chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says the house of David, because he was the king over Judah, the Bible said they were waxing stronger, but the house of Saul, which was the king Ishbosheth, was reigning over of all the other Israel. I think it's very interesting in verse 1. The Bible says that the country, the nation, the leadership of David being king over Judah was waxing strong, but yet the leadership of the house of Saul was getting weaker. By the way, here's the application. It matters who our leader is. That's the application. By the way, it's very clear in the Bible he put that in there because he said the king of Saul, the king that was reigning over Saul's people, it was growing weaker. How many of y'all believe that everything rises and falls on leadership? I believe that's true. We always like to talk when things are going well. Oh, he's a great leader. By the way, I certainly would not put myself there. But I'm going to say this. The struggles most of the time is because of poor leaders. And God help us that we have some wisdom in this day to know who's waxing strong and who's waxing weak. Leadership matters. And so I say that to every man here. You're a leader. You're a husband. You're a father. You are in some role of leadership. And I pray that God will help us to be the right kind of men, godly men, that we will lead the way God would want us to lead. Amen. To where things would be stronger, not weaker. God help us. So we see here in the passage, it's interesting to me that Abner seen the writing on the wall. He said, look, uh, David over here, his leadership, God's blessing there. His country and Judah is getting stronger. We're waxing weaker and weaker. And so now that Ishbosheth went and offended him and accused him, he said, look, today's the day. I'm going to make an allegiance with David. Now, I think it's interesting. He reaches out to David. And David says, absolutely, I'll make this league. But I thought this interesting. Now look, I don't understand all of this. I really don't understand all this, why David had so many wives. And why he had so many children. But I want you to know something today. It's very clear in God's word that a man should be married to one woman. Somebody say amen. amen. But in this day, this was the custom. And we understand this was something that was interesting to me. David said to Abner, he said, I'll make this pact with you under one circumstance. Now, I would have thought of all of the things that he would have asked Abner for or said, look, you're going to have to protect my family. This is not going to be a coup. No. You know what he asked for? He asked for his wife, Michael, that Saul had given to him because he had killed 100 Philistines. 
And she left him and was taken away from him. And for all these years, he had not been with his wife. She even remarried. And the Bible is very clear here. He said, I want who and what was promised to me many years ago. Even the fact that her now husband, that's a sad story. That he's going with her and weeping and crying knowing that she's leaving him. I don't understand all of that. But if you're talking about drama, it happened exactly like we read it. Now it's interesting. He made this pact with Abner. And I want to stop right here and look in verse number 18. To be fair, to be fair, David has only been reigning as the king in Judah for seven and a half years. From chapter 1 of 2 Samuel chapter Second Samuel 2, chapter 1, until now, until chapter 5, there's seven and a half years that have gone by. He's been the king over Judah. But God promised him to be king over Israel. So to be fair, to be fair, the rightful king that should have taken over seven and a half years ago was David. But Abner rose up and said, you know what, I'm not going to give, we're not going to do this, we're going to place some politics here, we're going to raise Ishbosheth. So he put Ishbosheth over Israel. But Judah anointed David as king. Now, I want you to understand. King David was only king over Judah for seven and a half years. He wasn't king over all of Israel. But that's getting ready to change. And Abner goes to the people. And here's what he says. I'm going to paraphrase. Y'all sought for David in the past. You've wanted David to be your king in the past. He says a very powerful phrase. You've sought for him in the past. So he says, now then, do it. There's the message. Now then, do it. I want you to notice, here's what the application that I want to make today. We know that these people had seen David in past and wanted him to be king. They had watched David's people, his kingdom of Judah, They had seen them grow stronger. They had seen them with the joy on their face. They had seen them with the power of God on the life of David. And so they would look at David and then they would look at their current situation and they say, hey, Abner said, hey, I want to put a plea out there to you. Look, you sought for him in times past. You know that he should be king. You know that God has made him king. So why do we need to wait? Why don't we just do it now? Let's make him king. Do y'all know where I'm going? Now then do it. You know what's killing us? Procrastination. You know what's killing the church? We'll do it later. Guess what? Never gets done. So I want to say to you tonight, today, now then do it. Now I might be speaking, let let me just say this, just the same as these folks had a decision to make. Had to make a decision. They had to make a decision who was going to be the king over them. And by the way, we have those same decisions every day in our life who we're going to choose to allow to be king over us. 
Will it be King me, my King self, or will I let King Jesus reign what he should reign? There are so many Christians today that lets him rule a little bit. Let's him rule a part of their life or a part of their soul. Kind of like David was given Judah for seven and a half years, but he didn't have the whole country. And can I say there's probably some folks that I'm talking to this morning that you're saved, but I want you to know something. He's not ruling the whole country. Can I say to you this morning, now then do it. Let him be king. Procrastination and doing nothing and waiting around is killing us. Now then, do it. Now we all understand this in sports. Uh, Isn't it the slogan, the, the icon slogan of Nike shoes? All of our young men, I mean, man, we're spending millions of dollars on sports and we're getting so excited over sports. Man, we have these great icons of sport figures and here's what they say. Nike, y'all know what Nike is? Y'all know what the slogan is? It's pretty catchy. Y'all ready? What is it? Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. That's pretty catchy, isn't it? And I'm going to be honest with you, when I was in high school, I was the first person in my middle school that had a pair of Nike Airs. Somebody say amen. Man, it had to be black and red. Boy, I mean, they was them Nike Airs. And I'll never forget it. My dad, he brought me down real low. I always had to have a real nice pair of shoes. I and mean, even back then, man, them Nike's Airs was cost. They sent you about 90 bucks. But it was amazing. I was on the Hinton area team and we was playing basketball. And the best player on our team, y'all know, his name was Lamont Smith. Lamont Smith. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, I was the point guard for that team. And all I did, y'all know what I did? I brought the ball down the court. I did one thing, threw it to Lamont. And Lamont did everything else. Lamont kept us in the games. He won the games. I mean, that's all, I, that's all my coach ever said. Get it to Lamont. I could handle the ball, man. I, he said, get it to Lamont. I'd throw it to Lamont, man. Lamont would go in there. He'd do drives, man. He would get fouled. And we came in third place in all of Summers County that year because of Lamont. It wasn't because of my shoes. Because <laughs> y'all know what he had. i never forget. My dad was taking me. He said, Mark, he said, you don't need one of them pair of shoes. He said, look at Lamont. He said, he's the best player on your team. And he's got a pair of them old Converse Chuck Taylors. Somebody say amen. They might set you back 15 bucks. He said, you're going out here trying to spend 90 bucks, and he's the best player. I said, thanks, Dad, for the encouragement. Just do it. Man, I think the sports world has really keyed in on something there. Just do it. Well, if you don't like your coach, just fire him. Just do it. If you don't think you're being successful, just move him. Just do it. We live in that kind of world, but it amazes me. It's like we have to pray about everything in church. There are some things that we ought to now then just do it. And when it comes to the point of who's going to be king over our life and over our soul, you better just do it. Now then just do it. I think this is an interesting question to ask. He's, he posed this to all of the people of Israel. He said, you've looked for him in the past. You know that he should be your king. You know that he's blessed of God. You know that you've sung your praises about David. You know that you've wanted him to be king. He says, so don't tear it long. He said, now then, just do it. And I say today, 
I want to give that application today. Well, now then just do it. Can I say, I might be speaking to someone who's always wanted to be a Christian. Maybe I'm speaking to someone this morning. You say, man, I don't have any intention of dying and going to hell. Well, can I say to you, now then just do it. I might be speaking to someone here. If I was to ask you, are you going to go to hell when you die? You're going to look at me and say, no. But are you saved? You're going to say, no. Well, then listen to me. Can I say, why are you waiting? Now then, just do it. Let him be king of your soul. Let him be king of your soul. We have a decision to make. Let him be king of our soul. By the way, that's what happens when we get saved. He becomes the king of our soul. I'm going to talk a little bit later on being the king of our life. That's being different than being king of our soul. If you're here this morning and you say, well, I'm telling you right now, I don't want to go to hell. Pastor Mark, I have no intention of going to hell. But if I was to ask you, well, do you know Jesus Christ your Savior? And you look at me and say no, then I would say this. Then just now do it. Then just now do it. Why are you waiting? Can I say, you know, why we wait? If with importance is because we think we have time. We think we have all the time in the world. We think we have control over time. Now I'm not trying to scare anybody this morning. But I want you to know something. Not a one of us is promised the next minute. I want you to know something. I have had funerals of little children. Heartbreak. I don't understand it all. But I know this, life is brief. I know life is something that we cannot boast about because we do not know the time or the minute nor the hour that we will cease to breathe. Then now do it. When people don't make the Lord Jesus Christ their king, it's because here's what they're saying. Oh, I got time. You don't know that you got time. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. I want you to know something this morning. If the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to your heart, I wouldn't let anything keep me from making him king over my soul. I wouldn't let anything. And it amazes me today. Look, I know what it means to be bashful. I know what it means to be nervous. I know you probably think you. There was a time. I took zeros in every one of my speech class because I was scared to death to get up and give a speech. Yeah, that was me. My wife will tell you I wasn't a very good date. I was so backward and so bashful. If we went out somewhere, I didn't even want to go anywhere where I had to go to a counter. You say, dear Lord, Pastor Mark, what happened? Jesus happens. I want you to know we live in a day where people think, oh, I'll tell you right now, we're, 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 it amazes me what it keep, what people will rationalize in their mind to keep them from getting saved. Here's one of them that I've heard all my life. Oh, I'll tell you right now, I'm not walking down that aisle. Well, do you think walking down that aisle with a bunch of people, I guess people have this idea, oh, look who she is, look what she's doing. Our church don't do that. Oh, well, I'm wondering what she's coming forward for. Can I help everybody here? If you're here today and you're lost and you get saved, every born-again Christian that's got any sense, they're going to rejoice with you. You're going to make their day. You're going to make them happy because we rejoice when someone gets saved. But it amazes me what people tell me today. Oh, I'll tell you right now, pal, I can't do that. Because... Listen to me, I wouldn't let that keep me from getting saved. I know, I understand that I've been there. I used to be backward. I used to be bashful. I just told you. I took zeros in speech class. 
I never dreamed that I'd be a preacher. Never dreamed. And now people say, Pastor Martin, when do you ever shut up? But I've just learned something. I've learned this stuff that has caused us not to do things now is we're being foolish. Whatever it might be. You, you, whatever it might be. Well, I'll tell you what. Can I just say this? And look, I know how this goes. Some people won't get saved because here's what they say. Well, you don't understand. There was a Christian that hurt my feelings one time. That doesn't surprise me at all. I'm sad to tell you that doesn't surprise me at all. Y'all know why? Because I've had Christians hurt my feelings before. I've had Christians say horrible things to me before. But I'm going to be honest with you. Why don't you just do it? Your salvation doesn't depend upon that Christian. If Jesus has spoken to you and you know you need to be saved and he needs to be king of your soul, then now do it. I wouldn't let anything keep me from letting him be the king of my soul. I wouldn't let anything keep me from getting saved. By the way, people that are lost, here's what they think. They look at us and they sometimes can't understand it, just like they couldn't understand. They would see David's family and David's people like, man, those people are different. They're, they're, they, hear, they heard the praises. They heard the singing. They seen the joy. And you know what? Lost people many times will look at the joy, will listen to the singing of God's people, and they stand back there and they look and say, man, I wish they could be like that. You can be like that. Just then now do it. Make him king. Oh, I know what people say. Oh, Pastor Mark, I will one day when there's nothing else better to do. No, now just do it. You're not promised tomorrow. I'm not promised tomorrow. See, what we do is we kind of take that in our own hand. We get under conviction. Can I say, I know what it means to sit in a church service and get convicted. I believe before I got right with the Lord, before I had any inkling that God was going to call me to preach, I'll never forget, I was sitting in the second row from the back at the church I grew up in, and we had a visiting speaker that day. His name, excuse me, his name was Mike Andreessen. He was preaching that morning, I'm going to be honest with you, I got under such conviction, my hands was gripping the pew in the back. I mean, I was just sitting there. And I knew, I knew that God was telling me and was speaking to my heart and telling me that I needed to be right and to do right and to live right. And man, I knew he was calling me out. I knew that he was speaking to me. You know what? I walked out of that building that day and didn't do anything about it. And sadly to say, I had to go through some more heartache before he finally got me. Can I say to you, you've always wanted to be a Christian. You say to me one day, you will become a Christian, then look, now then just do it. Here's the beautiful thing about it. You can be saved today. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. And his plan of salvation is so simple, it's one of faith, it's not of works. That's why the world's so confused, because, you know, we got to work for everything. But see, here's what's beautiful. Jesus has already done all the work. He says if we believe on him, he'll give us everlasting life. That comes by faith. Faith cometh by hearing the word of God. Faith is believing that what Jesus said is true and we're trusting him and him alone as our savior. I think it's beautiful even a child can do it. Now then do it. Yeah, we stand in the same place as these people. Oh, he said you've wanted him in times past. You've watched him. You've 
You've wanted him in times past to be your king, but he says, now then do it. So we ought to know that he should be king of our soul. How many of you know Jesus Christ is the king of your soul? You've been saved. Would you say amen? amen. Isn't that a blessing? But I want to say this, and I'm going to close. I might be speaking to someone today who's saved, but he's not the king of your life. And by the way, there's a difference just because you're saved doesn't mean he's the king of your life. Doesn't mean he's king of your life. Oh, he's the king of your soul. And you're going to go to heaven, but here's the question that I'm asking. Is he the king of your life? Here's the question. Here's the qualifier. Who's leading you? Who's making your decisions? Well, if it's you, it certainly ain't him. He's not your king. Trust the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. You know why we get in trouble? I'll tell you why. Because we get off that fence. We get off that place that's our part, and we jump over and start doing his part. What we do is we like to become king. I'm going to confess to y'all, I love being king. My flesh craves to be king. You know what? I have scripture to prove that probably one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, ever breathed, ever walked loved to be king. I'm speaking of no one else other than the Apostle Paul. You know why I know that? Because he said, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I do... What I want to do, he said, I won't do it. You know what he just did when he depicted that scripture? He said, there's always two, there's two, a conflict inside of me. My flesh wants to do, I want to be king, but yet there's a part of me in the spirit of, in my life that the spirit of God's always trying to let me, help me to yield my life that he will be king. I thought about our missionaries that were here. Just the last couple of weeks, we have some here. Brother Larry, the Palmer spent many, many years on the mission field. Brother Larry spent many, and Miss Judy spent many, many years on the mission field. The Marcus spent many years pastoring a church. The Curran spent many years on the mission field. And, you know, many times we look at people like that and we think, man, they're a different breed of people. No, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the difference is, is who they're letting lead their life. Who's the king? By the way, I know this gets nervous when, when we start talking like this, but, you know, we think this is like a young person's message, like, oh, you ought to surrender your life to the Lord. No, you know, that's old people's sermons, too. Everybody here that saved Jesus Christ ought to be the king of your life. You say, well, how's that happen? You have to surrender it. You got to give it. You got to say, Lord, this is not my body. This is not my life. You bought me with a price. You deserve to be king. And by the way, there was a day in my life that I, for the first time in my life, surrendered my life to the Lord. For me, it was in a middle room of a house, laying on a bed. I was weeping and crying so hard I couldn't stop. My life was in a mess. I knew why it was in a mess. I knew it was because certainly King Jesus wasn't king over my life. And I'll never forget it as I was laying on that bed that day. I'll never forget. I prayed and said, Lord, you can have my life.
from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I said, Lord, I give it to you. It was like a blank check. I said, Lord, I've signed it. You can have it because here's what I said. I can't do it anymore. I even said to him in an audible voice, Lord, we see what I've done with it. And it was all because, yes, I was saved. Yes, he was king of my soul. But he wasn't king of my life. And I want to say to you today, just because I had that one event, that one moment, where I know that I yielded my life to the Lord, can I say to you, there's had to be many more times since then I've had to do the same. You know why? Because I'm always wanting to be king. And by the way, you know what your problem is? You want to be king. But I want you to know something. Now then do it. Today needs to be a day that many of us here today, that yes, we're saved, we know the Lord, but we've been ruling our life. We need to say today, now then do it. You need to make Jesus king over your life and quit making and ruling your own life. Amen, preacher. Is that Bible? That's Bible, isn't it? Yielding our life. Our body is not our own. We've been bought with a price. But see, we like ours. We, I like mine. I, I don't want to give mine up. I, I, I got plans for this. Can I help every mom and dad here just a second? The most foolish thing you'll ever do is plan your children's lives. And boy, I see it happening everywhere in Christian church, in churches like ours. They play this thing. They, we know what to say spiritually. But what we're really doing is working in their life. By the way, I want you to know something. The greatest king that will take care and rule your child's life is King Jesus. He'll do better for them. I, I mean it. I know this probably seems foreign to you. It shouldn't. But I'll never forget one day there was a young man surrendered his life to the Lord and he wanted to be a preacher. He was young. He was just giving his life to the Lord. And I'll never forget on that Sunday his mother came to me. And she looked at me as serious can be. And she said, oh now, Pastor Mark, I know what so-and-so did there in that meeting. But she said, I just want you to know, he's not able to do that. You know what that lady told me? We're all human. We love to control our children's lives. Somebody say amen. And by the way, they should be under our care and protection. But when it comes, the Bible says to train up a child in the way he should go. Not the way you went or the way you wanted to do, in the way he should go. And the Bible says when he's old, he'll not depart from it. See, that's life's greatest discovery is what God wants for your child. That's life's greatest discovery. Like I said earlier, I had no desire I wanted to be a preacher. I had no desire that I thought I was going to be in the ministry. I thought preachers were weird. By the way, they are. And most people think they are, I know. And you say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, you watch. When I come into a place, things changes. I know they think I'm weird. You, you come with me to Walmart and there's people standing there and they know who I am. It changes. So just the fact that that happens, people think you're different. Amen? And I didn't want to have any part of that. 
I knew how I felt when Mr. Pilkington walked in. I was like, ooh. I was like, ooh, yeah. I was like, man, he, yeah. And I had this view of him like, you know, no, we're just human. But I had this view of like, oh, I'll tell you right now, people in, you know why? Because Jesus was the king of my life. I had the wrong views about the Christian life. Here's what I've learned. Brother Larry, Miss Judy, y'all lived down in Honduras a long, long time at different times and stages of your life. And most women would look at Judy's sex and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe you lived down there with no air conditioner. Miss Judy loves it. She thrives in it. Well, you say, why? Is she something special? No. But I, here's what I've learned. When you yield to the Lord, He gives you the desires of your heart because your desire and His desire is the same thing. Try to make me a preacher when I was 16 years old. If my mother and father tried to make me a preacher at 16 years old, I'd have rebelled every inch of the way. Why? I didn't, Jesus wasn't king over my life. I didn't want to have anything to do with that. But see, when we make Jesus king, it's amazing the decisions we start making. Now then do it. Well, you've said one day... You're going to make him king. You, you've wanted King David in the past to be your king. Abner said, hey, now then do it. Now's your time. Let's make him king. I want to say to y'all this morning, y'all wanted to make him king of your life, then now do it today. Just surrender. Oh, Pastor Mark, I can't do that. I'm too scared. You don't have to be scared. You know why? Because he's not going to call you to Honduras or anywhere in the country and eat bugs. Now, let me finish. Because I don't think there's one person here that want to go to the mission field and go eat bugs. I mean, I know I don't. But I'm going to tell you all this. If you surrender your life, and by the way, let me go a little farther. Moms and dads, if your child surrenders their life to God, I promise you, he will lead them. If he sends them to Africa, they will love it. Can I get a witness? Amen. They'll love it. See, what we get scared of, oh my goodness, I just don't want my boy going down there. No, listen to me. When God, when he surrenders, or a girl, or a woman, or a man surrenders their life, gives their life to Jesus, I promise you, you will love what he does. You'll love it. You'll want more of it. But see, that's why we have such a problem in our churches today. Most people have no inkling of giving. They, they're glad they're saved. They know they're saved. They've given Jesus their heart. But they've only let him reign part of it. It's time that he becomes king over your whole country. Boy, I thought that'd get an amen right there. Or an old me or something. How many of y'all believe he deserves the whole country? Amen. Then just now do it. Why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? I'm going to wait for it to get any worse. Do we need it to be worse? I mean, how much more worse do we need it to be here in America? Well, I'll tell you right, I'm going to wait. I'm going to get a little older. Well, you might not be promised tomorrow. Just then now do it. I think Nike's on to something, aren't y'all? Just do it. I think that needs to be the slogan of our church. Just do it. Some of you say, well, I'll tell you what, Pastor, I know I've been saved, but I've never followed the Lord in baptism. 
Well, why haven't you? Just now do it. Well, I plan on joining the church somewhere down the road, Pastor, but you know what? I got plenty of time. No, now just now do it. Well, I tell you what, one day I'm going to start having devotions in my home with my husband. If you're a husband, you say, well, one day I'll start leading devotion in my home. Uh, well, you keep waiting. You'll never do it. Just now, now do it. Well, there's going to be one day I'm going to get faithful to church. Well, just now do it. <laughs> well, there's some things in my life I'm not going to, maybe there's some things I'm listening to or some things I'm doing. Say, well, one day I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, I have a question for you. What? Just, just now do it. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Just now do it. What is it that the Lord spoke to you about you've been putting off? Can I just say to you, just do it. I'm glad these two young ladies are going to get baptized today as a, as a birthday gift. But I have a feeling there's other people that's never been scripturally baptized. And you're, what are you waiting for? Can I just say this to you? Just do it. Maybe there's been people that love the church. You've been attending the church. You say, man, I'm going to one day join that church. Well, just now do it. What are you waiting for? Well, there's going to be a day I'm going to really start. I mean, man, I'm just going to really give my life to the Lord. And can I say to all these young people, I know what y'all are thinking. You're waiting until you can get older. And you can sow some of your oats and live like, you know. But like I said a moment ago, if you give your life to him and let him be king of your life, you'll love what he does with you. You won't miss out of a thing. You know the only thing I wish I would have done? I gave my life to the Lord at 21. I wish I would have given it to him earlier. I'm amazed at what he's allowed me to see and do. Do y'all know in May, possibly, more than likely, it's looking like I'm going to be able to go to Kenya, Africa again. And you say, man, are you excited about it? You have no idea. I love those people. That's where God, I feel, I kind of associate that place with here because I really believe me going to Africa is what made me yielded to come here. If y'all were here, y'all remember I was putting everything off. I didn't want to come here. Y'all know why? I was comfortable where I was. And I was scared. And so Jimmy kept calling, and I kept putting him off. I said, well, I got this mission trip. I can't go. The church is paying for this trip. I can't go. That would be awful, me coming down here. I said, I'll have to talk to you after the trip. But boy, what I didn't know is what God did in my heart on that trip. And here's what he said. He said, well, Mark, he said, if you're going to serve me, he said, I'm leading you. What are you going to do? You're going to put it off or are you going to just now do it? I said, well, Lord, I've come to Africa. And I've lived down here and I've made it. If I can do that, I can certainly go down there and be with some Tennesseans. Somebody say amen. amen. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't believe if I'd have ever went on that mission trip, I'd have ever came here. So, yeah, it's special. I, I'm excited. You said, Pastor Mark, why are you bringing that up? Because, man, I'm just telling you, when you make the Lord king of your life, I'm going to tell you right now, you'll love what he does. I've seen things, been a part of things, done things that I never dreamed an old dumb boy from West Virginia would ever get privileged to see. Never dreamed in my wildest dreams that I'd ever pastor the greatest people in the world. Now, I know y'all are asleep now. I mean, y'all imagine, can y'all imagine? Y'all think about it now. How'd y'all find me, a little old town in Hinton, West Virginia? Nobody even knew where it was. 
I'd never heard of you, never seen you, never dreamed of ever being here. Never had any desire to be in Chattanooga, Tennessee. How did that all start? Why did that all happen? I'm going to tell you why. There was a day that I said, Lord, I want you to have my life from the top to the bottom. And lo and behold, I never dreamed I would love Chattanooga. But guess what? I love it. Love it. And I'm going to be honest, it don't even have the hunting here that I could be doing in West Virginia. Somebody say amen. There's so many things that, listen to me. That's what people say. Oh, well, if I give my life to the Lord, I won't like it. You'll love it. Do it. Quit tarrying. If you've never given your life to the Lord, say, Lord, you can have my life from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Now, then, do it. What you waiting for? It's a great day. If you've never been saved, now then do it. He'll save you.